Hello, I'm Stuart Preston, and this is the Stoned Ape Reports, conversations with those who have changed their lives with the help of psychedelics. In this episode, I had the honor of speaking with Greg. He shared his story of grief and his current work doing integration coaching. So let's hear from Greg. Well, Greg, thank you so much for joining me here on the Stone Ape Reports. I appreciate you taking the time to to share your story and get the word out there on, on the medicines, the psychedelics, and the, the good that they can help people do with themselves. So first of all, just thank you for joining me and uh, sharing your story. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Good. Excellent. Excellent. Great. Great having you. And I know when we, when you and I were talking, you kind of gave me a summary of your story. You know, it's uh, as if you were going to set up somebody's story, you know, the, the normal suburban life, running your own IT company, and then tragedy struck. And obviously on this podcast, we talk about what challenges people were facing in life and how they came to the medicines and then talk a little bit about the, the journey into the medicines and how they helped you help yourself. So why don't you kind of take us through through that story? I mean, going from normal life, then what was the tragedy, tragedy and how did you end up coming to the medicines? Well, I did psychedelics, you know, along with a lot of other things when I was, you know, in my mid-teens yeah. to late 20s. And unfortunately, in my late 20s, I got tied up with hard drugs mm. and things kind of spiraled out of control. I pretty much hit rock bottom and I had to be, you know, my parents came and took me out of the god awful place where I was living. Yeah. I went cold turkey on the drugs I was using and I just stopped using everything except for cannabis, which I abused for about 20 years. Mm. And I moved from Los Angeles area out here to San Fernando Valley. It's a suburb. I lived a suburban life. I got married. I bought a home. Um, I worked in the IT industry for a while and what, I guess about nine years ago, I started my own business. I was working from home had a few employees. I was successful. And then a nice. little over six years ago, my wife at the time passed away oh. unexpectedly. Sorry. Thank you. So I was really thrown into a lot of grief. And at the same time, mm. realized that there was a lot of childhood trauma I had not resolved. Mm. There was a lot of shit going on in my head that had held me back for many, many years. So. I sought out a therapist, a coach who has worked pretty much the way I work with people now. And somewhere along there, um, I remember I was smoking cigarettes at the time. My coach said, yeah, I've heard they're doing studies with psilocybin that helps people stop smoking. So I got a hold of some and I did it. And I realized there's a lot more here than just, you know, a nicotine habit uh, treatment. Yeah, I had some deep insights into my life and what had gone on and why I was acting the way I did and why I had certain certain thoughts and habits and patterns. And I thought, wow, now that I know this, everything's different. And within a few weeks, I realized I was right back where I started. I was still smoking. I still had the same habits and patterns. So I had found my trauma and I knew what my problem was, but that didn't get rid of it. So I tried it a few more times and the same thing everything feels different than it wasn't. So I started looking into it and I discovered the process of integration of taking the lessons that you learn and the experience and somehow integrating those into your daily life. I started attending integration circles out here about four years ago and about three and a half years ago, I was asked to lead those circles. There's a lot of facilitation in that. I was doing some energy work at the time. I didn't realize it, but I was sort of coaching people. People were saying things like, hey, that thing you said to me last time was really helpful, or thanks for advising me on this, that, and the other thing. And I started learning about integration coaching. I sort of switched gears. I became a certified integration coach. I started seeing clients, and I've been in private practice now for uh, over two years as a psychedelic integration transformational coach. But 
that was because of the hard work that I did that took me out of the childhood trauma, the grief, and helped me work through so many things in my life. You know, the hardships in my life are one of the things that got me here, the work that I did afterwards. The yeah. hard work of dealing with trauma is what got me to where I am today. So I so like it, helping people take that path as well. Yeah. And so in part, so obviously, you know, part of the, this that really interested me from, from my own story of loss and grief, you know, the, the grief from, from losing your wife, obviously that was probably very, very deep and, and big. Did, uh, did you primarily work with psilocybin? So you mentioned psilocybin with the smoking. Has that been the primary medicine that you have worked with? Uh, is my first question. And then two, how, how did that help you with your grief? I know that it, it helped you find other, you know, buried trauma in your life. But when it came to the grief part of it, what, how did that all play together? I think probably primarily the way that it helped me with grief was realizing that number one, I was attaching a lot of other things to that grief. You know, there was a lot of sadness and anger and grief from the hmm. past that I attached to that opportunity to let out. And I find this with clients quite often. People who have a lot of bottled up anger find every opportunity they can to get angry at something. Yeah. And they're perpetually angry because it's bottled up inside of them. You know, these emotions are very opportunistic. They look for openings. When we give them an opening, they come out. I was a very angry person for years. I got angry at the drop of a hat. Yeah. A lot of anger stored up that I wasn't directing in the right place. So realizing that I had a lot of other things riding on that grief and realizing that that grief also, in addition to the classic things you hear about grief, was wound up with a lot of things like resentment and anger. You know, when someone dies, there are a lot of unresolved emotions often that are tied up in their death. And we feel bad about having those hmm. emotions. So someone close to me dies. And I remember the time that I was unkind to them. I remember that I could have done something more. I mm -hmm. remember thinking one time an unkind thought about them, even though I didn't act on it. So all of those things get tied up in grief as well. And there's a process of accepting all of those as part of you and not trying to push them away. And, that and yeah, that makes total sense. And how did, how did, uh, you know, we don't want to get into a trip report because trip reports are almost as boring as hearing somebody's dream. Right. Yes. But, um, do you have any, anything you want to share about some of your, your psychedelic experiences that maybe brought some of this out in terms of, um, the medicine itself, uh, dosage or anything that, you know, was an experience that at the end of it, you're like, Oh, Hey, I realized this about some feelings I was having around my loss or I, or I discovered this trauma. Do you have any specific stories that you want to share? I remember one thing that was very strong for me. And this was in, I think my first ayahuasca ceremony ever. Um, mm -hmm. Like you said, trip reports can be boring, but I remember very distinctly seeing um, the back of my head, my own head, as I was listening to someone, telling me their story of the things that had happened to them growing up and how hard they had it and what a hard time they were having. And I could see that I was thinking something along the lines of like, what are you loser? Just get over it already. And I was <laughs> shocked that I would think this about that. Yeah. person. And as I, as I heard that the scene backed up and I could see I was listening to myself. Yeah. So it's something that I would never say to another person, but I very easily said to myself on an ongoing basis. You know, I don't judge other people as harshly as I judge myself. I think that's true of many, if not most people. Mm -hmm. So I had to learn that I wasn't cutting myself as much slack as everyone else, that I had to yeah. look at myself the same way I was looking at another person and have some compassion for myself. 
and accept the parts of myself that were having a hard time, the parts of myself that were angry and the parts of myself that were having tantrums about things, you know, yeah. I know that all of those things were me and not try to push them away. Yeah, that's a powerful lesson. So it's almost like you got uh, almost out of body, but, you know, separate and experience and observe yourself. Yeah, that's one of the ways that psychedelics talk to us. They don't, um, you know, we all have defenses built up against words. So if I don't think that I'm worthy of love, literally everyone I know who, who knows me can tell me that I am, <laughs> but I just don't hear it. I can't feel it. I can get it psychologically, mentally, but I can't feel it in my heart and I don't accept it. Because, you know, the ego, subconscious, all these things have built up defenses against words. They don't let them in. So psychedelics don't just hold up a sign and say you're worthy of love. They have to jog us somehow. They might do yeah. things from a detached perspective. They might play games or some sort of simulations with us. They might tell us stories or myths or fables. They might scare us or make us feel a certain way. But they do things to get something across to us that's not just telling us straight out. Yeah. So how did they show you, how did they help you discover some of these hidden traumas? Well, it was not so much the hidden traumas. Those I could figure, I mean, they are hidden, mm -hmm. but finding those traumas is not so much the key as identifying what was the error in my thinking and the flaw in my logic at the time. Okay. I seemed to be able to work with these things in a way that I could realize that when something happened when I was a small child, I got the idea that I was to blame for that because oh, that's yeah. what children do. You know, it's very unsafe to think that the people who are taking care of you, who are responsible for your world, have some flaw or fault. So when we're very small, if we don't get the love that we deserve, we just naturally assume that we don't deserve that love and something's wrong with us. They are not lovable. Yeah. So going back to those times and seeing, you know, I remember at one time seeing the flaw in my logic at particular moments and being able to sort of accelerate through my history without that baggage and seeing what that's like. Because... From the moment you have that error in your thinking, that flaw in your logic, it colors everything you do from that moment on. And you go on and you make mistakes and you make judgments and you make decisions based on that flawed logic. And there's sort of a process of realizing how easy it was to make those mistakes given your circumstances at the time. It's very much a process of acceptance and forgiveness for yourself and others. And when I say forgiveness, forgiveness, that doesn't mean that someone is absolved of any wrongdoing they've done. That mm -hmm. means I'm going to stop carrying the burden of resentment that goes along with not forgiving someone. I see that forgiveness is done just internally. You don't even have to tell someone you forgive them. You can forgive them internally so that you right. don't carry the baggage anymore. Yeah, that does sound important. And so the medicines help you, they helped you discover these things. Is there anything before we talk about taking these lessons and, and making them part of your life going forward, did you have anything else you wanted to share in terms of discovering these lessons in your, in your journeys? No, sometimes, except to say that sometimes it's not actually what you discover in the journey. Many times in the aftermath of the journey and the feelings that you have about it and the reaction you have to it in the, what seems to be negative, um, unsettled state that you have afterwards, sometimes you uncover those things in that state. I mean, that's what I do with clients a lot. Yeah. So dig into that a little bit. So that's what you experienced yourself. So you would come out of these experiences and, and maybe it didn't show you some great big obvious symbol representing what you were doing, but it started to kind of unfold in the days and weeks after. Yeah. And sometimes, 
you know, one of the things that I deal with a lot, sometimes people will call me after a journey and say, I don't understand. I had this beautiful experience. And for the past two days, I've just been really angry or really sad or everything's really dark. Well, that's not a mistake. That's actually one of the things that psychedelics do for us. You know, they provide a release valve during the experience in the aftermath that allows us to feel into feelings that we have been avoiding. Because especially anger, sadness, grief, these things are things that we have trained ourselves and been trained by others not to want to feel all of our lives. And that means we have a lot of things in us that are half processed and sort of stuck in the middle. You know, emotions have a beginning, middle and end. And sometimes when they get to the middle, they feel like they're too much. I don't feel like being sad or angry right now. This is too much for me. I can't handle this. So we shut it down and then it's kind of stuck in us. Well, human beings aren't made to be storehouse storehouses for unprocessed emotions. Um, and after a while, these things get to be too much and you're sort of holding the door closed while the closet is trying to burst open with all these things falling out. Yeah. When it gets to that point, what you need to do somehow is to get in touch with them and actually feel your emotions. So a lot of times when we refuse to do that in the aftermath of a psychedelic experience, or even during a psychedelic experience, those feelings will come up, you know, psychedelics do what therapy does. They bring the unconscious to the conscious. When that happens, it can be messy, it can feel bad, you can be angry, you can be sad, you can be dejected, but that experience helps you feel something you've been avoided. And sometimes when you feel into that, you can feel what you're feeling it about or where it came from. And sometimes that's the only thing holding on to the trauma is you holding on to that last vestige of it. That is the emotion that went along with it. Hmm. And so you uncover that emotion and that's kind of the key to unlocking that and letting it go. Yeah, there's a very multifaceted process. You know, I've used aspects like I do with clients of uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, different psychological processes, neuro-linguistic program, programming, and a lot of different personal and spiritual development disciplines, practices, and methods. Yeah. So when you did this, obviously you're out there and you're doing this. When you had your own experiences and you started working with these different modalities you're doing now to help people. Have you, have you ever had to deal with any kind of stigma around the fact that quote psychedelics are a part of it? You know, it took me, I think about um, a few months of going to my therapist. So I would just go into my therapist and say, you know, I've really been working through this issue and didn't tell him how I got there. Oh yeah, yeah. And finally, one time I said, you know, I think I need to tell you that some of this stuff I'm coming up with has come from my use of psychedelics. He's very non-judgmental. He said, really? I said, yeah. And I said, like, you know, this last thing I went to an ayahuasca ceremony, that's where you, and he said, oh, I know about ayahuasca. Mm. <laughs> I could tell then that he had actually done ayahuasca. <laughs> that's how much he knew. Okay, about good. But he didn't tell me that. I right. could just tell. But from then on, we had a different sort of conversation with him understanding that that's how I got to these things. Now, I have other people I know who work in this industry who are, you know, psychedelic advocates that are out of the closet who say their families have no idea what they do. They just know that one of my friends said, all my mom knows is that I work with people who take drugs. (laughs) Right. This is all you're going to get across to people sometimes, but there is a sort of a chicken and egg situation where people say, you know, psychedelics right now, people don't really respect that as legitimate. So I'm not sure what to do if I should tell people Mm. that I do this, but People aren't going to see it as legitimate until people who appear legitimate start kind of coming out of the closet. That doesn't mean anyone needs to do it if they're not comfortable doing it. But as that happens more and more, I mean, this is becoming more and more mainstream and accepted as 
therapy, as medicine, as something that's helpful to people. Yeah. So along the way, yes, you do have to deal with some judgment, some people who don't understand what you do. And sometimes a little education is required or is helpful. And sometimes it doesn't matter. They're just going to have a negative opinion, but you know, yeah. you do what you can. So if somebody's out there listening and they're thinking, yeah, I've got grief or I've got, I feel like I've got hidden trauma or I have wide open out there trauma and they're, they're considering going, you know, using a psychedelic medicine to, to get some help for themselves. What recommendations would you have, you know, for that person to, to get started, to do it the right way, to do it in a healthy way, to avoid harm? What general advice do you give people? First thing I would tell them is to make sure this is something that's right for them because psychedelics are not for everyone. Um, people with certain uh, mental conditions, people who experience psychosis, people who are schizophrenic, people who take certain medications, people with certain health conditions. There are quite a few contraindications and some people are just never going to get what they can from the experience. Someone needs to decide that this is right for them. Someone needs to decide whether or not they are psychologically healthy. So if there's a lot of trauma, you need to be cautious that someone isn't just cracked open and now dealing with their trauma without support. Yeah. They should know that they've probably read a lot about um, the different studies that are being done on psychedelics, mm -hmm. government sanctioned clinical studies, but every one of those studies have a, has a significant therapeutic component on the front and back end. So people don't just go in and take mushrooms or MDMA, people have therapy sessions to prepare them. Then they have the session along with an experienced guide and or therapist, and then they have therapy afterwards. So psychedelics will not necessarily cure or fix anybody. Most of the time, they just show us what needs to be worked on. So people have to be very cautious of looking for a miracle cure. I'm gonna take psychedelics and I'm not gonna be depressed anymore. That happens sometimes. Sometimes there will be a profound change in a person after a psychedelic experience, but far more often, someone will have an experience and feel like everything has changed. And if they don't do something in the aftermath to integrate that experience, if they don't make some change themselves, they will not change. And if you don't integrate, you may just be having a one-time experience over and over again. And that's fine if you want to, but you should know that's what's happening. So the first thing I will tell people is, psychedelics do not necessarily heal us. It's up to us to heal. They will quite often, most of the time, show us what we need to work on. And then the very hard work starts after that. Good, good advice. So psychedelics are not for everybody, but is integration for everybody who partakes in psychedelics? Well, integration is not one flavor of something. Integration uh, sometimes means that you feel, act, or be different after an experience. And that might mean that I'm not as impatient in traffic anymore, or I'm more understanding of my partner, or I'm not flinching at what I perceive to be criticism anymore. It might mean that I make my bed every day, that now I exercise or change my diet, that I evaluate certain relationships in my life or certain situations and decide what's healthy for me. I start to set boundaries. Integration takes a lot of different flavors. And you can actually integrate by yourself. The problem is sometimes if you say, hey, I need to change. Well, then the question is, who's going to change you? The person who thinks they need to change? Because the problem that with what happens in the psychedelic, in the aftermath of a psychedelic experience, the reason that integration is necessary is because for better or worse, your brain thinks it would be a very bad idea for you to change. 
we have developed coping mechanisms throughout our lives that cause us to do, not do, say, or not say certain things in order to say safe and not be hurt like we were once before. Hmm. This is why you can be sitting with someone that you have a relationship with and they'll say something to you that kind of ticks you off and you know that you shouldn't say something and you know you're going to regret it and you know it's going to cause a problem and it comes out of your mouth anyway. <laughs> it's a very strong defense mechanism. Yeah. You know, it's not really a difficult thing to do to drive to a gym and exercise for half an hour. But for some reason, when we decide we're going to be fit and healthy, it seems impossible to make time to get to the gym every week. When objectively, it's not a difficult thing to do. Coping right. mechanisms keep us doing and not doing many things. So trying to break those habits on our own is often very difficult because there is always a good reason why you don't need to do this right now. There's always a good reason why you don't need to change or why that's not a problem. This is where having someone else in your counter and uh, you're on your side as sort of an accountability partner or a guide or a coach of some kind that can be very helpful because trying to change on your own, believe me, I know from, from experience, it's a very difficult thing to do. Yeah, it sure is. So what, what does it mean? What does integration mean? You know, somebody comes out of this, and like you said, suddenly they feel like, okay, I'm happier driving in traffic, or maybe I, I learned to forgive myself, you know, something big. What, what does it mean to, to work with, you know, an integration coach like yourself or an integration specialist? What, what does integrating that lesson, what does that mean? And how does that work? Well, some of those things are sort of automatic and take care of themselves. Those are examples of times when that might happen and you might realize that there's been a change in you. Um, mm -hmm. but if it's something that seems temporary at the time, sometimes you're going to have to do things like not respond to a trigger in the way that you would. Sometimes you're going to have to dig in and figure out why you were angry or impatient before. Sometimes you're going to have to look for the rule that you made up that told you that this is what you must do. You know, there's always uh, sort of a shifting of perspectives that needs to happen because we see things a certain way and it causes us to act a certain way. Things need to be turned a little bit so we can see that this makes more sense, that that doesn't work, that this is what's happening as a result of this action in my life. Sometimes that requires discipline. Sometimes it requires exposure. Sometimes it just requires inquiry. What if somebody comes out of an experience and they feel like they didn't, and I'm saying this from, from experience, right? Sometimes you come out of an experience and you're like, wow, that didn't even do anything. I mean, you know, yeah, maybe I had visuals and maybe I threw up and maybe I had all these different things happening. But when I came out of it, I didn't have any kind of an insight or any kind of an epiphany. How, as an integration coach, how do you work with somebody who is reporting that? Um, you know, a lot of times the lesson is not so much in the experience a lot of times it is in the reaction to the experience or the reaction after the experience. And that can include the reaction after an experience, which you feel didn't do anything. Hmm. Um, and it can also just include what happened in the aftermath. So the very first time I sat in an ayahuasca ceremony, something happened to me that's not uncommon. It's not uncommon for someone the first time they drink ayahuasca to have nothing, psycho, nothing, nothing uh, psychoactive happen to them. No hmm. visions, no trip of any kind to maybe just throw up. I've right. seen people drink multiple cups and have no reaction whatsoever. When experienced people were drinking half that much, having very powerful experiences. So with me, the first time I drank it, I was sitting there and it started to come on. I thought, wow, this is starting to get really intense. And then it was like 30 minutes in, it just dropped. Huh. And suddenly I was completely normal. And I was extremely upset about it. You know, I paid money to be at this place. I expected right. this experience. And all of a sudden I'm sitting here in the cold in this room 
and I'm pissed off about it. And after about 20 minutes, I realize there are right now several people playing exotic instruments, singing Icaros and medicine songs I've never heard, playing instruments that I've, I've hardly heard before. I have this incredible experience in front of me, and I'm looking out the window being pissed off about something that didn't happen. It's yeah. not going to happen. And that was just a lesson to me in, you know, being present with what is. But mm -hmm. shortly after that, I realized my feet were very cold. And the person who was leading the ceremony was barefoot. Okay. I'm in a jacket, long sleeve shirt, two pairs of socks, and I have a blanket around me. And this person is on a short sleeve shirt and is barefoot. So I get it in my head that the heat's not on because this guy is not cold. Okay. <laughs> that that's why we're all suffering because there were other people around me who were cold. Now it turns out yeah. the area of the room I was in was colder than the rest of the room. And you know, when there's a room full of people, it just makes sense to have a little cold because you can get warmer, but you don't want to have it get too hot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so right. that's just what you do when there's a room full of people, but I'm getting increasingly upset at this guy for not turning on the heat without saying anything to him, of course. Right. And if about 10, 15 minutes in, I realized, you know, I can wrap another blanket around my feet or I could sit on my feet. I could do something. And it suddenly dawned on me that for my entire life, if I thought that someone was responsible to fix something, not only would I be pissed off at them for not doing it, I would make sure I was suffering just to prove that they were wrong. Uh, so I was making sure my feet were cold so I could continue to be pissed off at this guy because I thought he should turn the heat on. That was an extremely valuable lesson to me. And I think part of the reason it came up is because I was so frustrated in the aftermath. Yeah. But when something doesn't happen in a psychedelic experience, we always examine what the person's reaction to that was, what they have been feeling. Was there resentment that came up? Are they angry about it? Who was to blame for that? There's always something in there. And I can't tell you right now without that being a particular person, what that is. Yeah. But there's always something in someone's reaction to an experience, even if they didn't have one. Yeah. That means, cause you know, I, I went through an ayahuasca ceremony and the second night of it, everything pissed me off. Now just in a, like the guys next to me, the music, I mean, there was nothing about that ceremony that didn't just piss me off. And the next morning we're sitting in the circle talking about our experiences. And I mentioned that I said, yeah, everything was pissing me off last night. And the, uh, the facilitator just looked over at me and had a big smile on his face. And, you know, it was a long time after that. I was like that if he had not smiled at me, I would not have thought to myself to look back and try to figure out why was I angry, you know, the whole time. Cause you can go through an experience like that without taking the time to be a little introspective. Absolutely. And learn the lessons. I could have come out of that. You know, if he hadn't, if he hadn't just give me that smile, like, yeah, see, you had lessons, <laughs> you know? And so it does maybe sometimes take, take that help in the form of a smile or in the form of some actual digging around and talking and integrating with somebody like you. You know, there is one of the way, one of the things I tell people, you asked before about how I prepare people. So one thing I tell people is that there is nothing that happens in that experience that is not designed for your healing. Hmm. We sometimes think that there are mistakes, that I'm just annoyed at these people and they're ruining my experience, but probably objectively, there was nothing wrong with those people. They reminded you of something else or what they were doing brought up something for you, but there's always something in that experience and it's always telling you something. There's no hmm. such thing as mistakes in the psychedelic experience. Mistakes happen when we don't understand that things are happening for our healing. Or when we don't understand that we might be frightened and we try to get away from it. But yeah. Everything that happens in that experience is designed for our healing.
Interesting. So tell us a little bit about what you do as an integration coach. How, how do you help prepare people? How do you help them integrate? Kind of what is your process so we can better understand kind of what it is that, that you're doing to, to help people through this entire learning process and this journey? Well, before an experience, there are a couple of things I do with people. One is to talk about where they've been in their life and where they are now and what kind of problems they're experiencing and look at the association between those two things. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone knows that this happened in my childhood. So, you know, I have trouble connecting with people or something like that. But if you bring those things up and you turn them around a couple of different ways and talk about them, they either um, A, till the, the ground so that they might come up in the journey or they clear it out of the way so you can go a little bit deeper because mm. you can have five surface problems on the top, on top of a big problem. It's yeah. been years in therapy or someone else dealing with those five surface problems. So sometimes you clear those out of the way so it can go a little bit deeper. And then I work with people and I explain what might happen in the experience and what might not happen, what to expect, what not to expect. And what to expect is usually don't expect anything because the only way to have a disappointment is to have an expectation. Mm-hmm. No one can tell you what's going to happen in that experience. No. I talk to people about how to stay grounded, how to navigate, how to breathe. Very importantly, what to do if you become frightened, scared, sad, if something becomes scary or disturbing for you. And is that a general thing or is that specific to the individual? No, that's a general thing. Generally, um, so this kind of goes back to your question about bad trips. Um, bad trips often happen because people don't understand that like I said, psychedelics bring the unconscious to the conscious. In therapy, that can happen over a long length of time. You can spend many months teasing up something and bringing it to the, to the surface so that finally you kind of break down and realize and cry it. Psychedelics don't have that much time. So they sort of scan us and find what we've been trying not to feel and what's really bugging us that we're trying to not to think about because there's no such thing as trying not to think about something. As soon as you've done that, you're thinking about it. And they'll show it to us and say, hey, you need to look at this thing so that it leaves you alone from now on. Now, if I don't want to see that, number one, if I don't understand what's happening, I just think that there's bad stuff happening. A lot of people think that when you get scared during a psychedelic experience that something went wrong, that a mistake has been made. Mm-hmm. And really, it's just trying to show us something that we need to see in order to heal. Like yeah. I said, everything That's that happens point. in the experience happens for healing. And if I resist it, it might get even worse. So if I'm being shown something disturbing or if I feel it's coming up and I try to resist because I don't want that, then things can get very bad. You can get extremely uncomfortable. I've had this experience and I've seen people have this experience of just looking like there is no way anything will ever be comfortable or good. Like your bones hurt and your soul is sore and somehow you can't get comfortable Mm. or move or stop moving or sit down or stand up and nothing's working. It can happen for hours when you're not surrendering to something that's coming up. When something is frightening during a psychedelic experience, the best thing you can do is to lean into it and to remember that it's not going to be nearly as bad as you think it is. Oftentimes the fear of negative emotions, which is all that's coming up, is much worse than the emotion will ever be. Mm. It's not going to be good, but I guarantee you that, you know, this goes for psychedelic as well as, as well as in normal life. Anxiety is not good, but anxiety about anxiety is much worse. Mm. Worrying about your worrying is far worse than worrying will ever be. If you accept these things when they come up and just experience them and let them go through you, they will resolve themselves. But if you push them away, they're going to keep coming after you. 
Yeah, good point. So that is universal in the psychedelic experience. You don't have to go towards the things that are frightening to you. There's no such thing as doing it wrong. So if you come out and someone says, oh, you should have gone towards your trauma and faced your fears and all that, that person is shaming you, okay? You don't have to do anything you want to, but if you feel you can, if you know it's for your healing and you feel strong enough, that you can take this for the short time that it's going to take, you can lean into that thing. You can go towards it. You can look at it. It's almost empowering. So it almost feels like once you make that decision, it suddenly becomes not so much of a bad experience at that point. Many times, just that decision will make it much easier. You know, Ellen Watts famously said, the moment that you decide that you are that one weird kid who is never going to learn to swim, you suddenly start swimming. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes when we have those feelings and it feels like it can't possibly get any worse, then it stops. Yeah. That liminal point. Yes, exactly. So what about on the back end? So, you know, I, I do the preparation. I let go. Um, you've, you've coached me up on lean into it and I go through it, you know, bad trip, good trip, whatever trip. Um, and I come back out of it. Then, then what do you do? Then what's my process with you? Well, it depends on what you experience and what you can discern from it. Because like I said, sometimes psychedelics speak to us in very strange and novel ways because they don't often use words. So sometimes people might not understand what a game or simulation or some kind of vision or myth or tale was about. Um, Sometimes people imagine something to be very external. They see some story of the world or history or the way that things are now, when really it's a very personal tale just told to them in such a way that it'll have an effect on them. And then later on, they can realize this is about you. Sometimes you have to sort of decode, decipher, and extract the meaning from what happened with someone. Once you do that, then you kind of figure out what is the lesson from that? Because you are almost always telling yourself something. You know, I believe a lot of this comes from us. This is not given to, you know, the wisdom in psychedelics is that it helps us plug into ourselves and see what's going on. There's a transpersonal aspect to it. I think there's some wisdom at work here, but largely they plug in and tell us, here's what's going on inside of you right now. And here's what you have to do to sort of clean house they'll almost always dump something out that is on the back of our mind and really bugging us that we weren't aware of, that we've been Mm. holding back. So that may be some relationship or some dynamic in my life. You know, I had one client who came to me and said, I need to fix my relationship with my father. You know, this Mm. is bugging me. My father's getting older and we just can't seem to get along. So, you know, he decided to undergo psychedelic therapy and he came to me for the preparation and the integration afterwards. And afterwards, when we sort of pick through everything that he had seen and heard and felt, what we determined was what he needed to do was get a better job. So he never had to borrow money from his father, which caused this dynamic between them that Hmm. caused him to feel like he didn't have a good relationship with them. And that's exactly what he did. And once he wasn't dependent on his father, the relationship was fine. So what he thought he needed to fix was not not what he ended up needed to fix. And in preparation, I'll also tell people that what you're expecting as an outcome right now may not be what happens at all. If we knew these answers, we wouldn't have to go to these medicines and ask them. Right. Yeah. It's funny that way. So many times people say set an intention, you go in with that intention and the medicine's like, no, nah, not right now. I've got something else to show you first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can get there later, but here's a deer to detour. You have to take this necessary. Yeah. Yeah. We got to do this work first. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Excellent. So if somebody want, you know, I've actually bumped into a couple of your clients, I think, just through conversations on the internet. And yeah. you know, you're obviously doing some good work. If somebody wanted to reach out to you and work with you, how would they get a hold of you? Uh, my website is psychedelicintegrationspecialist.com. Okay. You can always get me at greg at psychedelicintegrationspecialist.com. And you can look me up on YouTube or Facebook as Psychedelic Integration Specialist. Okay. Awesome. And I will grab those links and put them on the, the hard copy of this. Uh, before we wrap up here, is there anything I didn't ask you or anything, any last thing you want to make sure to just get out there? I don't think so. It's been a great interview. I appreciate it. Okay. Awesome, Greg. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this. I know it's a great big help to a lot of people who may be dealing with grief, hidden trauma, scared of bad trips, you know, wondering what to do after a journey. So you've uh, really shed a lot of light on that. And I'm really grateful for your time. Thanks for having me, Stu. It's been great. That concludes this edition of the Stoned Ape Reports. Thank you for listening. Please follow us on Instagram at Stoned Ape Comedy and subscribe to our newsletter at www.stonedapecomedy.com. Again, thanks for listening and catch you next time, Stoned Apes.